Hello, I hope you're having an amazing day. Welcome to Who Knew in the Moment, the podcast. I'm your host, Phil Friedrich. Today, I'm honored to share Jesse Bradley's story. And Jesse has a just a fascinating story of going from a professional soccer player to having an illness that sends him back from playing overseas uh, to a pivotal change in career paths. Tune in and enjoy Jesse's story. Hello and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment, the podcast. Today, I'm honored to have Jesse Bradley with me. Uh, Jesse is a former soccer pro. Today, he is the head pastor at Grace Community Church. And uh, a funny slogan that I heard him say about his life has been, uh, he traded saving goals for trading souls. And so I'm excited to uh, have Jesse on today. So thanks for being here. Phil, thanks so much. And I love this uh, podcast because it focused on people's stories. And I believe that stories are all so significant, so powerful. We all have stories. So I'm honored to have this conversation. And for everyone that's listening, I'm grateful as well. Absolutely. So Jesse, kicking it off at like three or four years old, you made a statement to your parents that there's a lot of young children that say, and that's someday I want to be a professional athlete. So talk just a little bit about, you know, growing up and having that be uh, something you want to do even at that young of an age. It's interesting how dreams can be planted in the heart at a young age. And for me in preschool, I grew up on the University of Minnesota campus, shout out to the Golden Gophers right there in <laughs> Minneapolis. And I saw the different games, you know, hockey, yeah. basketball. I saw football. We lived in the parking lot of the football stadium and being surrounded in that environment and catching that buzz. And, yeah. you know, Minnesota winters, there's not a lot to do. <laughs> and so when you get in a packed stadium or you get in a packed, you know, gym with 15,000 screaming fans, it's like, yeah, that looks pretty exciting. And I just knew that's what I wanted to play. And it's interesting because a couple of years later, my parents got divorced and going through really that tragedy for a kid. Yeah. That's a tragedy because you have no control. It's the people you love the most. It's the family that's intact. And all of a sudden it's gone and you can't get it back. And yeah. that was crushing. I didn't even know what words to put on that. Uh, but I was hurting on the inside. There was that loneliness. Dad moved out of state, didn't have much contact with him. And sports even became a greater source of joy. And I yeah. really just started playing more and more sports. It, in one way, maybe it was a little bit of an escape, but it was yeah. also just such, you know, the teamwork, the relationships, the fun, the winning, the skills. Like, I just felt like I discovered something that was so life-giving. And focusing on sports and school, athletics and academics, that really became, in addition, you know, to friendships too, that became kind of the rhythm of my life that continued through high school. And I played three sports in high school. Uh, and, you know, basketball, we, we're both basketball players. Yeah, uh, yeah. I know you, you had point guard, I had scoring guard. We <laughs> it would have been fun to play together. But uh, that was my great love was basketball. But actually, I had more potential, more talent in soccer. And sometimes in life, you think it's going one way. And it's actually going a different direction. And I realized, you know, if I was going to continue on with that dream of professional sports, it would be as a soccer goalkeeper. Yes. Now, there's something interesting that you mentioned in there. You know, it, growing up, you, you were well-rounded, multi-sport athlete. Uh, but there was a time, I think it was around 13 years old, your basketball coach said, actually, maybe you should try this, this soccer thing. So talk about how that came to be because, you know, yeah, when you got the thing you love, sometimes you don't want to deviate away from that. That's right. And for soccer, it's the number one sport in the world. Yeah. And America is, well, we're improving, but we're not in that top <laughs> echelon yet. 
And I didn't grow up with all the foot skills. Goalkeeper yeah. was really the one position. Now, sometimes they put someone in nets because they think, oh, that person doesn't want to run or can't run. <laughs> this was more of, you know, as a basketball player, all the hand-eye coordination. Yeah. And yeah, there was a need for a goalkeeper. And that was the position that just came naturally. And, and I had to learn so much. And I had great coaches. Buzz Lagos is a legend in Minnesota. He was key and his son, Manny, for Minnesota United right now in the MLS. Yeah. And he took me under his wing and just showed me how to dive, how to land, the importance of communication. And I, I started to learn in terms of kicking the ball, how to do that well, and all the different skills, throwing the ball. And it was one of those things where, um, you know, the gifts and talents were there, the passion started to grow yeah. and it really came together. And in our high school, really, we won the state championship twice. In my senior year, we won it in a shootout, which is pretty exciting. It was in the Metrodome, yeah. 6,000 fans. And, you know, that really launched the next step into college soccer. And sometimes you need that pivotal moment. I mean, that's what this podcast is about. And I look back at that high school championship game in that shootout, which back then that became my videotape that I would send yeah. to colleges and open the door. And yeah. one small victory sometimes can lead to a greater victory. And I, I was so grateful to have the opportunity. And you know, one thing with my mindset, my junior year in the Metrodome, I was just flat out scared. I yes. was playing scared. I mean, it was a big stadium. This is where I watched the Vikings play. You know, <laughs> I was just like, and, and I played in this timid way kind of hoping I wouldn't even see much action. We still won the game three to one. I didn't play well. And it's just as a goalkeeper and in life, if you kind of white knuckle it, you just try hard and you're nervous and it never brings out your best performance. And so I came into that game senior year thinking if I ever get another chance, I don't want to play scared. Like I just want to dive in, go for it. And I was grateful to have a second opportunity. Yeah. So let's dive into that a little bit and just mentality. Um, I mean, goalkeeper, right? You're the last line of defense. I mean, you're you're the only thing. If they get past the last guy, like it's just you. So talk a little bit about some of the pressure you can feel playing goalie, but then also, um, you know, what you learn from facing that pressure, you know, kind of consistently in, in the confidence that that grew. Yeah, soccer doesn't have a lot of goals and scoring, which sometimes in America, that's not the desired sport. Yeah. Uh, not as many, you know, massive collisions. And, <laughs> but it's a, it's a beautiful game. It's an intelligent game. It's rhythm and yeah. incredible teamwork. But it, for a goalkeeper, there's a lot of pressure. And that's something I had to deal with. I naturally put pressure on myself. And yep. then the game also heads that direction. And that combination it didn't always put me in the best mindset. And I had to learn how to relax. Part of that was with my faith, which I didn't discover. And maybe we could talk about that in college. Yes, we will. But uh, that really put sports back in perspective for me that, you know, it's not all landing on me. Because in soccer, if the goalie makes a mistake, you often lose the game. I mean, one nothing, yeah, yeah. two to one, it's on the scoreboard. A midfielder can mess up eight times. <laughs> and big deal. And a goalie, you mess up once and everyone's going to remember it. That's what changed the game. And yes. so you can't operate in fear and you have to instead you know stay focused and learn how to not have too much pressure on myself and I, the mindset you know one thing that helped me I had a coach and he was from Africa and this is back in high school and yeah. he just walking with me that goalie has an 18 yard box in soccer and he'd walk with me around the 18 yard box and this is what he'd say you are the lion this is the den 
They're coming to steal your food. They're coming to steal the little ones. You know, like, this is your den. You're the lion. And that just resonated with me. Like, I got the concept. That word picture helped. And it's like, I need to communicate. I need to be strong. I need to be aggressive. This is my space. And I need to own it. And that, that was one that was just like something changed. You know, you talked about defining moments. Yeah. That conversation changed the way I played moving forward. And it felt empowering. Yes, I love that. Now I have to know, and this is just purely out of curiosity, what is the strategy in a shootout, right? I mean, yeah, yeah there's, there's some level of luck. There's probably some level of research you could do on a kicker's tendencies, but I'm sure like, if you're really good, you probably try to not give away tendencies. So talk about what's the strategy there. It's really a fascinating interaction. And I love shootouts. Uh, I would say that uh, there's a lot of gamesmanship. Ultimately the pressure in this unique situation is more on the shooter, I think, because it's expected that they're going to make it. And I felt like as a goalkeeper, if I could stop one or two of those shots that our team would have a great chance of winning. And it begins really for me with the eye contact. Now there are some shooters that try to be cunning and sly and they'll almost try to get my attention and then lead me one direction. And I would think, no, it's going the other way. Yeah. Or, or if I just catch kind of a quick glimpse, like they don't want me to see it. Then I'm like, I think that just tipped their hand. Uh, Then, you know, the body, the way they approach it and they're lean. uh, So often there's just a little juke, there's a little fake, and then it goes the other way. And, And it's really, it is kind of a guess and a launch as a goalkeeper, because the only way I could get to like an upper corner or if it's a really hard shot, like get to a lower corner is if I launch, you can't launch early, but I dive with some anticipation and then yeah. just go all out. Like the ball's going that way. And, and you can't cover all of it. I mean, right, it's going right. to your right, it's going down the middle, it's going to your left, you don't know. You only have really, you know, one shot. So uh, putting those pieces together, it, I majored in psychology in college and I, I felt like it was a little psychological, <laughs> you know, a little test there to try to read the shooter's body language and, and then yeah. go for it. And those are still, you know, some of my favorite moments in soccer is the shootout where everything's on the line and yeah. one save can make the difference. Yes. Well, as you mentioned, junior and senior year, you win state championships. And when you win state championships, you get some exposure. And so you end up electing to go to Dartmouth and uh, getting to play soccer there. And that transition for any college athlete, it, it's difficult, right? Uh, you know, you're going from playing with, 15 to 18 year olds to 18 to sometimes 24 year olds, right? There there can be some older individuals there. And so there's, uh, you know, not only all the things that go with college, but then also just the physical side of people. So talk Mm -hmm. a little about that transition for you from high school to college. Yeah, there's the nutritionist, there's the weightlifting. I mean, there's (laughs) the off season conditioning, all of this, the, the players are faster, bigger, you've got to make quicker decisions, better decisions everything's you know the speed is so different and that transition for me i was so grateful to step into a team with a coach that was outstanding i always believe the coach sets the culture and we had an environment that felt like family and it was really done in a professional way our coach is bobby clark who's a legend in scotland played in the scotland national team he's coached overseas in several countries national championship team at notre dame stanford you know, Dartmouth, a lot of different schools. And he was a goalkeeper too. So he had incredible insights and stepping into that environment. 
you know, Dartmouth hadn't won the Ivy League title in 25 years. And my freshman year, like that's the goal is that yeah. breakthrough. And I still remember coach on, you know, the board there. Uh, and, it, and he just pulled out chalk. It was a blackboard and he put four circles. We had four games left and we knew we had to win all four. And those four circles represented, you know, the four wins that would lead yeah. us to the title. And so sweet after each win to see him put an X <laughs> through that circle. And then that fourth circle, I mean, we were just dancing and jumping around yeah. campus because we came back from Brown. We won the Ivy League title. And there's such a bond with teammates. You know, when I think when you serve with people, sometimes sacrifice with people or have had success with people, there's a bond that happens there. We still Zoom, we still call each other, we still yeah. joke around, email, text. I mean, something really special happened. And the accomplishment, you know, winning the Ivy League title, uh, yeah, that's still nice, but it's the relationships that matter. And when you look yep. back over the years, it was those relationships and serving together, everyone knowing their role, the teamwork, again, the culture. And for me, I, I couldn't have asked for a better place uh, to play. And I know you played college basketball. When you, when you play college sports, in a lot of ways, you eat, drink, and sleep the sport. <laughs> and you can't, there's no room for like, yeah, I think I'm going to go 70% or, you know, maybe 80%. <laughs> like yeah. you are all in. And that also makes it exciting when you get in a room with people who are all in and there's a common goal and you can work for that goal together. I mean, there's going to be some tough moments. There's going to be competition. Everyone wants playing time. I mean, there's a, all those dynamics are there, but really when you have mentality, it's we more than me and we're all bringing out the best in each other, pushing each other harder. Again, that's a special environment. And that's a culture really that can happen in so many different settings. Yes. No, you're exactly right. And I think, yeah, you know, they talk so much about who you surround yourself with is, you know, <clears throat> who you're going to become and who you end up becoming. And so to your point, it's pivotal that the people with you are matching your intensity, matching your level to get the ultimate desire, which was winning that Ivy League championship for you guys. That's right. And we won my freshman year and also my junior year. Yes. You know, it's interesting, sophomore and senior years, there's this complacency that can kick in mm. after success. And you just think, oh, we'll repeat, we'll do it again. We've got the experience. And no, you have to stay hungry. Yes. And there are different challenges in each season to overcome. But my junior year, we won the Ivy League. We made it to the final eight in the NCAA. And lost against Rutgers and Alexi Lawless, a game we'd love to have back. And sometimes in soccer, also the team that maybe plays better or could win, doesn't win. There's not yeah. a lot of scoring, like we mentioned, but uh, hats off to them. We're, we're moving past that, I healed from that, no worries. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we, and we had a great time just uh, both, you know, in traveling, the trips, we went to Scotland together as a team. Yeah. And those years were, were phenomenal years, life-changing years for me at Dartmouth. Absolutely. And one of the life-changing events that happens is you have this class and it's a world religion class. And in this class, you're given the assignment that you need to read the book of John. So talk just a little bit about, you know, where you were at up to that point and then what started transpiring, you know, through that class. Yeah, I didn't grow up in a home where we went to church, we didn't believe in God. And, you know, certainly the Bible was not something I'd read before. And our family is kind of like Baskin Robbins, 31 flavors spiritually. <laughs> and we have, you know, a, a rabbi, a Jewish side of the family. We've yeah. got a lot of people who are practicing Catholics, ex-Catholics, we have atheist, agnostic, and we just have really a full range. Uh, and when you consider, you know, that background stepping in, 
to college, I wasn't looking for anything spiritual. I took a class, religion class, introduction to world religions. It was a distributive. I thought, well, I'll just take the class. And we started reading the different texts. And I respect everyone from, you know, every background. And I'm sure there's a wide range of people listening and watching to the podcast. And for me, the Bible stood out when I read the Gospel of John because I didn't know anything about Jesus. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at his teaching and the miracles and the way he loved people and the way he broke through some social barriers and then this resurrection. And I honestly kicked the tires. I had hundreds yeah. of questions. I met a Christian for the first time. He was on the track team in my dorm floor, and he was patient with me, kind of a quiet guy that is just really down to earth, authentic, and answered my questions. And I just wanted to know more. There was a searching that started to happen. And underneath it for me, there was success on the outside, you know, with, again, good school, grades, sports, friends. All of that was happening, but there was an emptiness on the inside that just didn't make sense because my goals were being accomplished. I was checking those boxes and I thought, why don't I feel better on the inside? Yeah. And I never thought, oh, maybe it's God. But Augustine said, our hearts are restless till we find our rest in thee. And that kind of summed up my story. I mean, when I finally decided my sophomore year, I'm going to follow Jesus. There was this peace on the inside, this joy. It's like I had a song and I'm not that musical, but I would just walk around campus with this song. I started to just change. I, I forgave people that I could never forgive before, uh, including at home. You know, my dad, I carried bitterness because he was gone most of my life growing up. And I forgave my dad. I knew God forgave me my sins and I wanted to forgive my dad. It was a heart change. It was sincere. There started to become healing in our relationship. And I just didn't cut down people as much. I just started to love people, enjoy yeah. people more. And I'd go to the same parties and I wouldn't be drinking, but I'd be having even more fun. And, and it was like, all this was happening and it wasn't forced. It wasn't rules. It wasn't religion. Mm. It was this relationship I had discovered and it's grace. And that's what stood out to me about Jesus and Christianity is it's not this trying to climb up a ladder, be good enough, earn God's love, somehow accomplish a spot in heaven. No, God already knows us, loves us, and pursues us, and it's grace, an undeserved gift, and I received that gift, and that's what made the difference, and you know, I never thought I'd be a pastor. Um, I never thought I'd follow Jesus either, but sometimes in life, the, the best stuff isn't planned, and you yeah. don't see it coming, and you don't write down, okay, my sophomore year, I'm going to do this, but these gifts that you discover and you step into, they're the best things in life. And it wasn't something I earned, but it's something I enjoyed, received, and it continues to touch every part of my life. That's amazing. And one of the things I'd like to highlight in what you said, which um, I think it is a part of growing maturation, and that is the idea of forgiveness and doing it not with an anticipation of an ending result, right? That Because you don't know how it's going to be received, but you're doing it for yourself, right? So that way you're not holding on to bitterness and resentment. So maybe talk a little bit about that from, uh, you know, what I'm doing versus the expectation I think I'm going to get and how that can be, uh, I guess, misaligned. So true. Yes. And you talk about defining moments in your life. For me, it was that decision to forgive. And forgiveness doesn't mean what the other person did was right or small or minor. In fact, uh, forgiveness is a decision of the will. Healing can take a long time. Yeah. And forgiveness means I'm going to let go of that bitterness, resentment. I'm going to let go of revenge. And I'm not going to carry those things. They're a poison inside of me. It's like being trapped inside of a jail. And I'm going to step yeah. out of that. I'm going to forgive other people the way I want to be forgiven. And I'm going to forgive other people the way God's forgiven me. 
And that forgiveness opens the door for healing. It doesn't mean you're going to be best friends. If someone hurts you and they're still dangerous and, and there's still abuse happening, you might yep. need distance. So forgiveness doesn't mean that like, oh yeah, now we can just hang out and everything's safe. You might right. still need some distance. You can have both. But forgiveness is one of those freeing decisions. And when you make it, it's life-giving. And it's one of those you might be tempted to go back to the bitterness. You just keep letting go. You might want to say out loud, I forgive. Yeah. And when you forgive, again, that's empowering. And you're able then to um, take risks because relationships are risks. And you're yeah. able to trust other people more. And it, it's something that once you do it, it's, it's so good. You can't control how they're going to respond. Sometimes right. you forgive someone, they don't change. They're still mean. Or you forgive someone, and sometimes that does kind of be like a catalyst for a change in their life. And they realize you've forgiven them, and then they're kind of humbled and grateful, and they change. Yeah. And, and so you don't know, but do the right thing. I say trust God with the results. Be faithful with your step. And then... Um, you know, make the most of the opportunities, do everything you can do to have peace in all your relationships. And forgiveness is a key component. Absolutely. That is wise advice, wise advice. So throughout your college years, then, uh, like you mentioned, junior year, you won, you know, the Ivy League championship again, junior year, you also uh, started FCA. And so college, this is, a, and for anyone listening that doesn't know, that's what's called Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And so, um, you know, that ended up just being, uh, you know, things that were progressing your athletic career, but also your uh, faith life as well. And it sounded like you really started to get surrounded by a community of people that were believing uh, similar things as you. And uh, you were helping them learn what you were learning. Yeah, it was kind of a wild adventure. I mean, when you taste something that's good, you want other people at least to have the opportunity to taste it. Yeah. And I was a kind of a silent Christian at first, you know, family wasn't that happy that I made that decision. Yeah. And then also, um, I was just kind of scared what people would think of me. And even my own roommate didn't know I made that decision. And then later on, I thought, wait a second, I, it is faith is private and personal, but it's also something that, you know, can enhance other people's lives. Yeah. And, and I kind of hit that moment. And part of it was going to Daytona Beach as part of the spring break project. And, and I thought I'll come along. There's gonna be some good stuff there, but I'm just, I'm never going to share my faith because I knew some people were on that yeah. trip. And I watched them share their faith. A lot of partying people, drunk people, spring yeah. <laughs> on the beach. And I was like, wait a minute, no one got beat up. No one, you know, um, got hit over the head with a bottle. And it actually, you know, people were appreciative. And so I started to share my story on that Daytona beach. And, yeah. you know, even though some of them were drunk and some of them, you know, they were not believing, they really consistently said, wow, that took a lot of guts. Thanks for sharing that with me. And I thought, if I can talk to strangers on Daytona Beach, I can talk to people back on campus. And so we started this FCA and went to different teams and the coaches gave us permission. We said, we're starting it. Who would like to join us? And people from different sports came. And then, of course, once they come to the meeting, it's like, well, what are we going to do? <laughs> we should probably open the Bible. And they all kind of looked at me like, you go ahead and you do it. And I just thought I didn't grow up with a Bible. I don't know the Bible. And there's gonna be a lot of moments in life. And I think some of the best moments is when you're way out of your comfort zone and you just feel like, shouldn't someone else do it? Like I'm not qualified. I'm not the right guy. And yet that's the very moment you're going to grow. And yes. they were nudging me to do it. And so I was just like, well, let's open up the Bible and kind of learn together. And I was just being authentic and you don't always have to have all the answers. And it doesn't have to be slick and polished, but yep. if you're authentic and 
and you're real and you're able to create an environment where it's safe and people can grow and discover for themselves. And that's what faith is. It's not forced. It's not mandatory. It's a discovery of a relationship. And that's what we created on campus. And it was neat to see just other athletes starting to just have that kind of holistic satisfaction in life that there's more than just the intellectual and the athletic and, you know, but the relational and even faith and spiritual, I really think life's about relationships and the quality of relationships, the quality of your life. And that's true with people. And I think a relationship with God is part of that as well. I love it. Absolutely. So as your college career progresses, you you are doing well as a goalkeeper and you're getting attention to get the opportunity to play at a professional level. However, you mentioned that, well, there's no MLS at the time, so, so yeah. uh, you have to look at other opportunities. So talk a little bit about what that meant for you. Yeah, that's right. Playing in a team in Minnesota pre-MLS, it's like, nah, I think I need to go overseas. And yeah. I was able to go over to Scotland and then Zimbabwe and Zimbabwe, Bulawayo, Highlanders Football Club. You know, we went there knowing that Africa has a lot of needs because it was the opportunity to go to England yeah. and, you know, Queens Park and Man, Man United to try out for those teams. And now I look back and it's like it would have been interesting to go there, yeah. but we chose Africa. And in Africa, I took a prescribed medication to prevent malaria. And that built up toxic levels in my system over the course of the season. So by the end of the season, my body just started to fall apart and it was all side effects. And there was uh, a lot of different physical, many different physical symptoms uh, from double vision to migraine headaches, fatigue, but physically with my heartbeat, it would start to beat tachycardia racing heartbeat, 160 beats a minute, just sitting still. And the drug inhibits the inhibitors. My heart couldn't regulate itself. Atrial flutter, skipping beats, heart murmur, just pain in the left side of my chest constantly. And the doctor sent me back to America and we paid out of pocket, went to Stanford, and he was the first doctor who said this could be related to the medication that was prescribed. And he listed like 10 things, 10 causes that, that it could be. When he said the medication, something inside of me just said, that's it. Because there was also emotional side effects of, yeah. you know, there were panic attacks and crazy dreams and swings of depression that I'd never experienced before. And the doctors weren't sure what the cause was. They thought the drug was unlikely. We had my blood sent to center disease control. And later on, they sent it back confirming there were toxic levels of drug in my system. Now I had to make, talk about defining moments. One of the biggest moments in my life was I was supposed to take the drug for another month after I returned. And that might've killed me. And at the moment, you know, deciding to not take the drug anymore, that was bold because the doctor said, keep taking the drug. And a lot of people who knew the situation said, keep taking the drug because they were looking out for me. They're well-intentioned thinking I can't get malaria on top of whatever I have because that would kill me. That was their advice. And I went against their advice. And that came from a prayerful decision. And there's just moments in life where listening to God and those quiet times, his quiet, gentle voice, sometimes he speaks through your heart, your thoughts. And that tender voice told me, to not take the drug anymore. And I did that by faith, even though it wasn't the popular decision. And now looking back, everyone says that decision was probably what saved my life. And I'm so grateful for that timely wisdom. And we live in a busy culture. We're always racing around. We're running the next thing. 
And we need to slow down sometimes and just check in with God. When you're dating, when you're married, you know, career decisions, financial decisions, buying a house, those key moments right there. Uh, my wife and I moved from the Midwest later on. I'm fast forwarding another example listening, but um, we moved from the Midwest out to the West Coast and the house is three times as much. You get less square footage and everyone told us to buy, just get in. And we paused right there and prayed. It just didn't feel right. We ended up waiting seven years. We watched the housing market completely come down instead of buying at the peak where we would have lost, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars watching it come down. We bought at the low point and then watched it rise. And mm -hmm. I just believe God knows every component of our lives. I mean, the professional fishermen, they thought they knew how to fish. And Jesus said, nope, drop the nets over there. They're most insulted because yeah. <laughs> you tell us to do it, we'll do it. And then look what they caught. And it is humbling to stop and to ask for wisdom and in prayer. But that was one of those moments that saved my life. And I'm so grateful for that intervention from heaven to make it clear to not continue taking the drug. Because I was fighting for my life for a year, even with yeah. everything you know that I went through. And it took 10 years to fully recover. And it was the most brutal time in my life. But it's also, I think, the most fruitful time. Because growth really happens in the valleys and in the pain much more than it happens in the success in the mountaintops. And that's where my life changed on many different levels. And uh, during that time, that was intense pain and question marks and mourning and grieving. And so, uh, yeah, that's a glimpse of, of what yeah. I was going through. So anyone that has spent as much of their life dedicated to one specific activity, such as you had with soccer, yeah. When that stops, when that goes away, or when it becomes, I would say, less significant in your day-to-day -day activities, there, mm -hmm. there's that tough emotional balance of that, right? Yes. And how did you kind of transition from, man, I mean, this is really my, I mean, everyday activity to, I'm deviating away from that. And it's now more of a hobby. And I need to have my identity not tied to, you know, mm -hmm. Jesse, the soccer player. Yeah, that's right. Because I was in a situation where I didn't know I was fighting for my life, like <laughs> fighting for my sanity, you know, lost my career, lost health, didn't have friends around, moved back to my parents' basement. I never thought I'd be in that house. <laughs> and so all this stuff is flying at me and I didn't even know where to start. You know, if you're going to eat an elephant, where do you start? I don't know. One bite at a time, where are you going to take the bite? And, and I, I was overwhelmed and many levels. And one of them I discovered was identity because my identity without realizing it was an accomplishment. And maybe yeah, people yeah. are listening and watching can relate in between my academic, you know, abilities. And then in addition, soccer, and that really became my identity. And that mm -hmm. wasn't healthy because yeah. anytime your identity is in something you can lose, then you're going to wrestle with the question, who am I? And that was the question, who am I? Because yeah. If it's gone and I'm still here, well, then who am I? And I shifted my identity from things I would do or things I could accomplish to who I am, to God's love and being secure in his love that he's here and finding my security. Like identity is a choice and you yep. drop your anchor and you get a place to put it. And that's where I put it. And that's a game changer. I also realized that it's a gift. If I'm in my right mind or healthy, it can help anyone. That's a gift. Life's a gift. Life's fragile. Life's short. It's a gift every day. 
And I, it, it really helped me want to reach out and make a difference in other people's lives. I started uh, a couple things that, that were helpful. I started to chart the progress because if you have a long-term recovery, you don't always feel like you're moving forward. And I chart over the course of a year, how many minutes I could walk each day. Oh, and so awesome. I could look back months later and say, wow, I can walk 10 more minutes without my heart you know, escalating and the heartbeat going out of control. And so I'd celebrate that. I'd start to write down 10 things every day I'm grateful for. Because if you feel like, and you have lost a lot, it's easy to over-focus on that. And I need to remember what I still have and still carry gratitude. And God started to redirect me from soccer into ministry. And it was something I didn't see coming. I just started volunteering as I had more health in a church. And I realized like, there's a lot of good things happening here. Like I'm starting to use some of my gifts. There's people that were affirming and confirming of those gifts. I started to see lives change. I thought, wow, this has some potential. And so often it might start for you as a thought, a hobby, a side hustle, a part-time job. But, you know, God was growing something there. And don't be little small beginnings. Take Mm -hmm. the first step. Find someone, shadow, get some experience, start using your gifts it's hard to steer a parked car. So be active, take that first step. And then, you know, that direction's going to come. And that's what started to happen for me as well. Yeah. Another key thing I got to mention is that, you know, my coping mechanism in life was more like try hard, improve, learn, grow, persevere. Yep. So I didn't know how to mourn. And I, and I still don't like mourning. It doesn't come naturally, but I didn't know how to like cry, grieve, Letting people in was huge. Letting yeah. God in. Uh, my prayers were more kind of surfacey, intellectual. And I had to learn how to pour up my heart to God, how to let him carry some of these burdens and bring his comfort in those pain points and let some other people in, trusted people, instead of just being in denial. No, I'm fine. I can do it. I got this. Uh, let some people in. And that really began a learning process. And I'm still learning those things. Yeah. And there's still the old ways and tendencies and habits. But that kind of broke in this new option for me, instead of just trying harder, do better, persevere, because there was nothing I could do to microwave through the process and speed it up. There's nothing I could do to just try harder and go accomplish something like I had to walk through this and it was overwhelming, but I started to learn how to rely on God and what he can truly carry to take the pressure off me. Yeah, that's so good. Now, you were mentioning that you were doing a lot of volunteer work, and you had mentioned that you had had an opportunity to do some shadowing, and mm-hmm. a, uh, there was an important elderly lady that spoke some words on you. Yeah. <laughs> so just talk a little bit about that. You know, I'm grateful for Jeff Johnson, who is someone who, he was maybe the first one where I really felt safe, and he was a pastor, a youth pastor in the area, and he just started to build me up and teach me and learn from him. And just in all of my life had so much wisdom and great advice. And then as I started to volunteer more, I was, you know, that Presbyterian church. And it was a group of, at that point, uh, it was a group of senior ladies. And it was a lunch. They invited me to come. And there was one lady on the other side of the table. And as I was sharing my story and where I'm at, the recovery and not knowing what's ahead, She kind of blurted out. She said, you're going to go to seminary and it's going to be sooner than you think. (laughs) I was just like, what? Like, I didn't ask for this, but sometimes (laughs) someone will kind of sense something or know you or see something and they'll say it and it's out of love. 
And she was exactly right. So I went from stunned to, yeah, I think that's what I need to do. <laughs> and I went off to seminary in Dallas and I was so grateful for that nudge. Sometimes we need a nudge from other people and they see it before we do. And when they say it, it's just kind of like moves us forward. It's catalytic. And her statement was bold and catalytic. I love it. Now you mentioned, so you went to the seminary and uh, so you, you graduate from there and you start working in, we'll just call it kind of like children's ministry, right? You know, working with youth and adolescent. And as you're doing that, you recognize that this may not be my long-term calling. So talk a little bit about what you enjoyed about it, but then also what you started noticing in the transition. Yeah, I was stuck, you know, ministry's new, church is new. And I was trying to figure out where's my role? How am I going to fit? And I was, you know, volunteering first with youth and helping with youth then. And uh, it was great, but I felt like it's not the long-term fit. And, and then looking at some of these senior pastors and lead pastors, I thought, well, I'm very different than them. Like, <laughs> I can't just pretend to be like that. So like, where do I fit? And I ended up serving at the University of Iowa, Hawkeyes, Big Ten shout out. And as I served on campus there, there were a lot of people coming to campus that just thought maybe God doesn't exist or religion is boring or it's kind of dead. Or you just go through the motions or it's just for mm -hmm. Sunday and you got to earn it. It's about rules and all these um, kind of misperceptions about who God is and how to have a relationship with him. And what I found in that role at the University of Iowa is that I was reaching people kind of like myself coming to campus and wondering, like, where could I really find satisfaction and contentment? Like, where am I going to get the healing and the peace that I've been longing for in life? And yeah. to be able to come alongside of them. And we saw our group in Iowa go from about 20 to over 800. And wow. it felt like people were coming to know Jesus every week. And it was it was just pretty dynamic what God was doing on the campus. And it was a lot of fun too. So I'm grateful for those six years. I also met my wife during that time. <laughs> she was working at a summer camp. They were coming to recruit for looking for summer staff. And of course, they're looking for college students to be counselors. And when she came to our event, um, well, I volunteered to help her carry the table, you know, just, you know, just being a gentleman, yeah. you know, look out, love your neighbor, you know. I had other motives, but uh, <laughs> anyway, so the corny line of you, she recruited, you know, some students to be counselors. And I think I was recruiting her as well, yeah. but I was grateful because uh, we both sensed that um, there's a connection here. And you, this is again, a little bit of a side story, but kind of funny um, back then, you know, we didn't have smartphones. We weren't texting. And I, I got her email from a common friend and I sent her an email and she just didn't check her emails that frequently. Plus she was traveling on the road. So here I am just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And I'm just thinking, oh no, like when you know someone's a pastor and then they're asking to talk with you and connect and maybe go on a date, you know, it's like, I, I was just hoping I didn't put her in a really awkward spot. Yeah. And she's just spending days and days and days thinking, how do I say no? What do I do? Uh, or, or she was just super spiritual and praying and fasting that whole time. And no, but she just didn't check her email. When she emailed back and said, yes, I'd love to talk more and gave her phone number. I was just like, thank you, God. This is, it just was, it was, it was right from the start. It was yeah. different from the other, any other relationship. And it just felt like I don't have to analyze. I don't have to force it. I can be myself. And uh, I'm so grateful for Lori. That's awesome. I love it. 
Well, as you're progressing through that time, uh, an opportunity presents itself again to transition, which isn't uncommon in the pastoral world to seek uh, a next opportunity. And so talk through that decision and why you end up making the seemingly uh, not as, uh, I guess, surface level, the right choice is what a lot of people thought would have been the right choice. Yeah, I sensed it was time to be a senior pastor. And at that point, I realized I can just be myself and I'm not going to have to copy someone else. Uh, and with that freedom, I started to explore different options. There was a big church in Pennsylvania, Hershey. It had a couple thousand people, you know, and then the other one was a small church in Northern California, a couple hundred. And praying through that decision, I felt like there was clarity to go to the small church. And for a lot of people, they would say, why would you do that? And they did say, why are you doing that? And, you know, it's a tough choice, but it's not always about the bigger. And it's not always about climbing the ladder or the career being massive. Now, um, I would say with anyone, of course, there's pros and cons. I like to write those out, uh, get advice. You know, I pray, ask for wisdom. But I really believe success in life is about being faithful to God. And that's what's going to matter most at the end of the day. There's a phrase, the audience of one. And it's not about what other people want you to do or what the pattern is or what necessarily the bigger always is. Yeah. But those seven years were incredible years of learning. They were great family years. Our kids were at a young age. It was closer you know, to my parents, which was helpful with the kids. And just a, a sweet group of people, a church family there in Northern California. And I'm, I'm grateful for those years. Uh, again, um, it, it's tough decisions. Uh, I'm not trying to say like, oh, you always go for the smaller one or look at me, I, I went that way. But, uh, but I just want people to know that there's options and empowered. And then it helps you identify what's most important to you. And the peace that I have had in life, there's a Bible passage, move with the cloud. When the cloud stays, you stay. When the cloud moves, you move. And the peace I've had is to try to be in the place God wants me to be doing what God wants me to do. And that's where I found the greatest joy as well. Yeah. So with that, and I think a lot of people fear making the wrong choice, mm. right? And so that sometimes can prevent you from making any choice. Uh, or to feel confident in the decision you are making. So, you know, whether it's from a spiritual standpoint or just, you know, a decision-making standpoint, you know, what would be encouragement for you to others about, hey, here's, you know, some things to consider, but here's what you need to do to feel confident in that decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those decisions, you know, I would say, again, overall, some of the greatest blessings have been surprises. Yeah. I'm someone who is analytical, so I, I do take time and process. I value other people's input. You know, I'm kind of relational and intuitive with my decision-making process a lot of times. Yeah. But I, I've been wrong enough in life. <laughs> it's been a lot to know that I'm not just going to figure out everything in my own direction, my own way. And this goes back to my faith, but I actually believe that Jesus will lead me better than I can lead myself. Mm -hmm. And that's... See, in life, it's who do you follow? Do you just follow what the culture says? Do you, do you just follow yourself? Uh, who do you follow? Uh, and then for me, in terms of following Jesus, the Bible is also a playbook. And so I look to the Bible and say, well, what's the wisdom here? What does God say here? Try to listen in prayer. And we're all stubborn. I'm stubborn. I need mid-course redirections. You know, I stay in things too long. And, 
you know, God sometimes has to make it so clear. And it's like, I should have picked up on that earlier. Uh, but overall, with those decisions, I think what's going to be um, loving people, serving people, bringing out the best in other people, what are needs people have, what are problems that you solve, what burdens do you have in terms of wanting to help people, what mm -hmm. difference you can make, what do you want to be said at the end of your life? It's true of your life and then kind of look backwards and do that backwards engineering. If money wasn't an issue, what would you do? Like if you already had all the money in the world that you're ever going to need, like yeah. what would you do? So that passion and purpose, when you connect those two, and I'll tell you, if you're loving your neighbor, I'd say if you're honoring God, you know, if you're doing things to serve people, if you're generous, if you're using your gifts, you're going to come alive. That's the place of satisfaction. And, and I believe that the way you're wired is different than anyone else. Yeah. And to discover that self-awareness and that uniqueness and to discover that and feel that security in, in who you are, your gifts, your personality, that security that you're loved by God, and you operate out of that security, you can rest in that mm -hmm. relationship and you can risk. And it's going to take courage. It's going to stretch. It's going to go beyond you. When you're really doing something, I say God size, there's a lot of reliance because you know you can't just do it yourself real quick. Yeah. And so that's a healthy reliance. It's humbling, but walking in step with the spirit is the Bible phrase, which just means I'm walking close with God, listening to God, trusting God. And that is sometimes going to be the marketplace. That's sometimes going to be a stay-home parent. That's sometimes going to be a lawyer, a teacher, sometimes going to be a custodian. Don't um let other people define the measure of success for you. Yeah. But make those decisions by faith and then uh, go all out. Don't go half-hearted. Don't be timid. Don't give in to fear. Don't let despair and discouragement slow you down. Like, go all out. Uh, life truly is short. And I think um, it's a gift. And I think there's more potential than we often realize. And so let's be people who are courageous and go for it together. Collaboration is key. It's not just how much you can do alone. It's who you're going to lock arms with who has the same passion, who can you learn from, who can you help, you know, and do that together. That's where the potential lies. I love it. That is great. And to wrap our time up, Jesse, uh, to bring everything together, to start in soccer, to go mm -hmm. to faith. And then now you have a pretty cool opportunity of what you're tying together with faith and family night with this. Yeah. In, in Seattle. So talk to us a little yeah. bit about what's come together there and, you know, tying those two passions of yours. Yeah, Seattle's been a special place. And Grace Community Church, if you want to check out what's going on and join us for live streaming, uh, Seattle Sounders, Faith and Family Night, you know, just been special to work with them. Now we're looking at Tacoma Stars, a Faith and Family Night as well. And combining soccer and faith, we also have about 100 churches and ministries united together here in Seattle. So there's a lot of unity. We just had Serve Our City together. Yeah. Uh, there's great relationships. And again, that's so sweet when you can overcome. Sometimes there's denominational or just different barriers and location. When you realize, no, we're one team together. We're serving together. Our churches really become much more multicultural. And we celebrate that multi-ethnic, that we look more like our neighborhood, look more like heaven. And I think we need to break through and bring the generations together, bring people from different nations and cultures together, uh, different denominations, and sometimes, you know, drop the stuff that's not as important and focus on the most important stuff. And to live that out in Seattle is exciting. I wake up every day grateful. Uh, we got a great team on our staff here. 
And there's a lot of needs in the city and we just want to get after it together. And so, and also there's a website, jessebradley.org that we started during COVID and there's a lot of free resources. There's stuff on hope, there's stuff to help marriages. Uh, that's our heart. Again, it's all free. Hopefully Knox, it's low quality, but just because we want, you know, it to be available for people user-friendly and, and you can have the content. So uh, yeah, meet me at that site. And I'd, I'd just love to connect with anyone that's watching today. Absolutely. Well, we'll make sure to put that in the show notes so people can access that. But Jesse, I want to say thanks so much for being on today, sharing your phenomenal story and all the pivotal moments that have led you to where you're at today. And, uh, you know, there's so much good that you're doing and excited to continue to follow your journey and for us to follow up again here in the near future uh, with what else and other changes uh, have continued to transcend in your life. Thank you so much, Phil. Appreciate the podcast and your heart. You just serve people so well. You care. Uh, you're obviously a great listener. You let me talk a lot. Uh, but uh, sharing these stories is really powerful. And I, I just encourage people to share your story, listen to other people's stories. And stories, uh, they're life-changing. And I thank you for letting me share some of those defining moments. And some of them I didn't even know were happening at the moment were so significant. But later on, and those are hard transition ones, life going yeah. one way and all of a sudden it can't go that way anymore and you got to go. And maybe you're in the middle of one of those, but I'll tell you, that's the time of growth. That's the time of learning. It's an exciting time. Those challenges become opportunities. So thanks again for this time together, Phil. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Jesse. I love Jesse's story and I just love how... Uh honest, open, and candid he is. And I think something that really stands out is Jesse just loves people and wants the best for him. Thanks so much for tuning into Jesse's story here in all of his pivotal moments. Uh, check him out online.